Hi, and welcome back to Meritocracy, the history and story of the High School of American Studies. Once again, I'm Stephen Dames, a high school senior at HSAS and a journalist for our newspaper, Common Sense. The last two episodes have been spent going over the history of the specialized high school exam and the creation of the wider system. But in today's episode, our focus is going to narrow. Today's episode will get into the meat of this project as we will talk about the creation of the High School of American Studies, finally, under Mayor Michael Bloomberg. We will talk about his guiding philosophy when it comes to education and why it still matters to New York City today. As we've talked about in previous episodes, our school is a microcosm for the larger issues in education, both in New York and around the nation. It serves as an example of what specialized education is like, how it has changed over time, and how it can be improved going forward. Welcome to Meritocracy, the history and story of the High School of American Studies. Episode 3, Specialization Spreads. In the year 2002, after years of Mayor Giuliani's laissez-faire Republican administration in New York City, Along comes billionaire, media tycoon, and New York socialite Michael Bloomberg. Successfully running for the Republican nomination, coincidentally, the primary voting started on the morning of September 11, 2001, Bloomberg eventually went on to win the general election after outspending his Democratic opponent Mark J. Green 5-1. In a city that is known for being liberal, for instance, the last Republican president the city voted for was Calvin Coolidge in 1924, this was the first time the city voted for two consecutive Republican mayors. That shows that there was something special at work here. Throughout the campaign, Bloomberg's main message was education. He ran on rapidly improving and changing the school system that for decades politicians did not want to touch. Due to a lack of mayoral control over the system and its lack of centralization, Bloomberg's project of reform seemed doomed from the get-go. However, Never seeing a problem he could not solve, Bloomberg started off his tenure by persuading the state legislature to abolish the central-run state board, local community board control over schools, and give him, the mayor, the final say over the New York City school system. This was a landmark moment in time. For decades, mayors had been trying to convince the democratically held state legislature to do what they did for Bloomberg, but due to his political neutrality, popularity, and, frankly, his stubbornness, Bloomberg got it done. He returned control of the New York City school system to the mayor of New York City. He centralized the system and brought it under his command. Once he gained control, Bloomberg set off on a search for a chancellor. The search was famously secretive, and Bloomberg made it know that any candidate who appeared in the press or was even mentioned as a possibility in the press was automatically off his list. Bloomberg's team ended up landing on Joel Klein, the deputy White House counsel under Bill Clinton. A famous antitrust attorney, the world was stunned that Bloomberg decided to treat the New York City school system not like an education system in need of reform, but like a monopoly that needed to be busted. Klein, in turn, assembled his own unconventional team, headed by Diana Lamb, who'd been superintendent in several smaller urban districts, Chelsea, San Antonio, Providence, Rhode Island, 
and had built a reputation for imposing pedagogical reforms, shaking things up, producing quick test score increases, then leaving with an angry school board baying at her heels. In San Antonio, after she left, 80% of the elementary teachers voted to drop her everyday math program that LM had installed. The rest of the team did not come from education at all. Instead, they were high up leaders in business, finance, the government, the military, and other such places. This shows the approach that Bloomberg will bring to education. He will attempt to professionalize it, bring it in to the fold with other careers, and make it centralized, different, and in his words, better. Now that the team was in place, it's time to talk about the reforms that Bloomberg actually ends up implementing. First off, we have Children's First. Children's First was a famously the ballot line that Bloomberg ran on in the 2002 election, besides for the Republican ballot line, as in New York City, you can run on multiple ballot lines. Bloomberg announced the Children First program on January 15, 2003. It focused on changes in how the school system is run and how it is managed. Bloomberg said that he would close the 32 community school districts and replace them with a streamlined, top-down, command and control structure, like a business. The mayor appoints the chancellor, the chancellor appoints 10 regional superintendents, each of whom will oversee 12 supervisors, each of whom will be responsible for a cluster of 10 to 12 schools. The only mechanism for democracy in this system will be the chance to vote, or not to vote, for Mayor Bloomberg during the next election. Technically, some educational authority is rested in the Panel on Education Policy, but it's appointed by Bloomberg, and in the real world, the board is completely subservient to the mayor and serves totally at his pleasure. In fact, the board remained entirely silent for all of Bloomberg's term. This is to say that Bloomberg took community control out of the school system, removed parents and community leaders from says, from having a say in their school, and vested that power in himself. On to his next reform, gifted and talented admissions. Before Bloomberg, every New York City elementary school chose its students for a gifted and talented program. There was no standardization in this process, and a child could be classified as gifted in one school and classified as not gifted in another school. But Bloomberg ended up standardizing this admissions process, so all students would take the same test and need, and need to reach the same qualifying score in order to test into the gifted and talented programs in their zip codes, in their middle schools, in their elementary schools. The placement was then deter determined after this test via a City of Department of Education lottery. As a result, of course, gifted and talented programs in underserved areas where not enough students made the new cut were shuttered, and previously racially and socioeconomically diverse gifted and talented classes became steadily wealthier and whiter as wealthy white parents trained their students for the admissions tests. In other words, Bloomberg spread the specialized school system to kids as young as four years old. The SHSAT was no longer an anomaly. It was the model. From here, Bloomberg opened charter schools, a passionate believer that, as in business, 
School competition would increase quality and ultimately benefit the consumers. This is a core tenet of free market ideology. Bloomberg permitted nearly 200 charter schools to open during his tenure. While, as with traditional public schools, quality varies widely, in 2018, of the top 25 elementary schools in the city, as measured by test scores, 16 were charter schools opened by Michael Bloomberg. Every one has, to an extent, helped reduce the achievement gap, but also are discriminatory and hurt teachers. Finally, specialized high schools. Bloomberg, when faced with an increasing demand for a limited number of seats in Stuyvesant, Brooklyn Tech, the Bronx High School of Science, and LaGuardia High School, he decided to create five more specialized high schools. In 2002, as Bloomberg's, as one of Bloomberg's new schools, the High School of American Studies at Lehman College was founded. The school was established and designated as specialized by the PEP, subject to the SHSAT-only provision policy under New York Law 2590, Section G, the Calandra-Hecht provision, still during Joel Klein's tenure as chancellor. As a newer specialized high school, and not one of the original P3, the PEP has the authority to change its admissions policy on demand. That means that unlike Stuyvesant, Brooklyn Tech, Bronx Science, and LaGuardia, if the PEP decides that the High School of American Studies should not be subservient to the SHSAT and could pick its own students, admit from the community, or use any one of a variety of plans, it could do that. It is not written into state law that the, that the High School of American Studies is a specialized high school. Unlike the other specialized high schools, HSAS focuses on the humanities, specifically American history, Reading from the About Us section on the American Studies website, the school describes itself in this way. Our school emphasizes the study of American history and offers students an academic program that is both well-rounded and challenging. Our goal is to prepare students for admission to highly competitive colleges and for a range of careers in politics, law, journalism, business, science, mathematics, and the arts. In all of our endeavors, we seek to encourage in our students a love for learning and an inquisitive spirit. The high school graduated its first class in 2006, and for its first few years, directly operated out of the facilities of Lehman College before moving to its permanent facilities across the street. This high school is one of the legacies of Michael Bloomberg. These new specialized high schools cannot be separated from his other educational priorities, and his priorities all have one goal, to make admissions more competitive, and to make education into a free market enterprise. Even when dealing with public admissions, he treats it like private admissions. That is the legacy of Michael Bloomberg, and that is the legacy of this high school. That's what we need to understand when we're talking about the High School of American Studies. Next week, we'll be going into the history of the school itself, talking about its first few years, its next few years, its demographics, its teachers, its location, how it's changed over time. Hopefully we'll get a couple interviews in with current staff, students, administrators maybe. We'll be talking really within the walls of the High School of American Studies. But when we talk to these people, we need to acknowledge why we're here, why we were created. 
why we exist. Thank you.